South Carolina. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. I tell you what, he could come back any moment and deliver us from all this mess down here. But uh, I'm thankful today for the opportunity to preach to you and uh, be with you folks again. You folks have been a great encouragement to me and my wife, Linda, already, and we thank you for that. We're taking our Bibles today and looking at the book of Philippians. We're going to spend some time the next several weeks, Lord willing, in the book of Philippians. It's called the Epistle of Joy, the Epistle of Joy. And so I want us to look today and the next several weeks at this good book. I want to preach a message today entitled, A Life of Joy, A Life of Joy. Of joy, I uh, I don't like to fly on airplanes much anymore. I it's a, such a hassle going through that TSA, all the stuffy check and and uh, just the hassle of getting on an airplane, and then flights are delayed often. You just might as well plan on it now. Um, my wife Linda, we uh, we've flown uh, Arizona. Uh, Florida, a few places we've flown together. And uh, now we just, if we can help it, we don't, okay? I mean, besides that, I mean, the Bible says, lo, I'm with you always. Uh, and so I'm, uh, I don't fly much. But I remember the last time we did go to uh, Naples, Florida, uh, Fort Myers, where we flew into. Uh, the plane began to rock back and forth. I mean, it looked like a pretty day out there. And the plane was rocking back and forth. And um, then they come on and tell you we're experiencing some turbulence. We knew that already before you even told us that there was some turbulence. And uh, then they indicated that we may be in turbulence all the way to Fort Myers, Florida. Can I tell you that in life now, turbulence is lasting for the rest of the flight, just about for our life right now. And so we might as well go ahead and expect it. Doom, despair, and, and, and agony on me, as the old expression said. But I'm looking for how can I find joy in the midst of the trials of my life? As I think about experiencing trials of life, I am reminded of John Bunyan. John Bunyan, as you know, wrote Pilgrim's Progress, a great work that we enjoy. And uh, John Bunyan, for everybody that had a chance not to be joyful, he did. He was born in 1628 in a family very poor, illiterate. He was the first person in his family to learn to read and write. He was one, he was from Bedford, England. And uh, he was a rebellious kid, got in a lot of trouble when he was younger. He married a devout Puritan lady, come to Christ. He had four children. His wife died. He remarried a lady by the name of Elizabeth, who also was a godly lady. He preached, was called to preach, and was preaching at a time when the Anglican Church was against Puritans, wanted people to be registered with the, with the state, with them, through the Anglican Church, and he refused that. And they told him, said, you can do anything except preach. And guess what he did? He preached. And he preached and was arrested, 
November the 12th, 1660. His uh, wife went into labor when she found out that he had been arrested and the child that she was carrying died. He was in prison for 12 years. And uh, you'd think, well, man, all he has to do is just say, I'm not going to preach anymore. He said, I'm not doing it. God has called me to preach. And he said, uh, the gospel still works. And uh, he, he still preached when he could. And, and was, as I said, he was arrested. Spent 12 years in prison. You say, that's a, that's a sad thing. No, you know, the greatest things we found from John Bunyan were while he was in prison. He wrote nearly 60 works. Pilgrim's Progress being one of those that we enjoy today. And uh, he couldn't meet his family, couldn't meet the needs of his family, couldn't take care of them uh, while he was in prison. He had a blind daughter named Mary. But he tells in his works, he said, you know, prison was a good thing for me. I drew closer to Christ in those 12 years. And I drew closer to him. And he found joy in the midst of suffering. Joy in the midst of suffering. James says, Can it all joy when you fall into divers or various kinds of temptations or trials? And he did. In the book of Philippians, we find in just in the first chapter that there the word Christ is used 18 times and the word gospel is used six times. And you know the, what Paul said in verse 21 of chapter 1. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Over in verse 4 of chapter 1, Paul said, always in every prayer of of mine for you all, making request with joy. Joy. Matter of fact, that's the theme of this book. And I don't know what kind of turbulent times you're going through, or it's a different time for the church here at Crossroads, but God can give us joy in the midst of turbulent times in our lives. And I want us to look these next couple of weeks. We're going to look today... Like that airplane flight, we're going to look today kind of from 30,000 feet at this book of Philippians, and then I want us to bring it down for the last part of the message today on the first eight verses of chapter 1. Philippi, a city that was very poor themselves, we know from uh, what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters on giving in the Bible, and I'd like you to turn there with me. i got some places I would like for you to mark in your Bible if you haven't marked it already. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's what it says, beginning in verse 1. Here's Philippi in the area of Macedonia. Moreover, brethren, you do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, one of them being the church of Philippi. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Those words don't seem to fit. Here they are 
in a time when it's, they're going through a great trial of affliction, persecution, trouble, the abundance of their joy. It was evident, abundant joy, and at the same time, deep poverty. And in deep poverty, what were they giving? Liberally. Didn't have much to give, but they gave. Ann Murphy, a missionary to the Indians in Arizona several years ago, was in our church when I was pastoring in Houston, Texas. Her son, Scott Murphy, still runs the ministry out there, Regeneration Reservation. Ann was in our church, and she said, Brother, uh, I'm going to be in your church tomorrow, but would you and your wife go with me? We're going to Brother Jack Wood's church inside the 610 Loop in Houston. And Jack Woods had grown up working with Brother Roloff and had gotten, he was a, just a wild kind of guy before he got saved, you know, shoot people and all kind of stuff. Now a preacher in a real rough section of Houston, Texas. And so I went in there. I watching around when I went in that church that night. Though. They were showing the movie Sheffy, and then they were going to have Ann to, to uh, speak after that was over. I mean, that movie's long, and, and, uh, and she said, uh, I'm going to speak after that and introduce my ministry there, the Indians in Arizona. And as we were going back home, she said, uh, brother, she said, these folks, most of what they owned, they had in their own pocket. And they reached down inside of those old blue jeans and they pulled out wads of money and put it in that offering plate. And she said, did you know that tonight I received one of the most generous love offerings I've ever received? Out of their poverty, they gave in their liberality. Just like this church at Philippi who had given to the Apostle Paul, and matter of fact, the book, book of Philippians is a thank you letter, or the gifts that they had given. A lot of folks today think, well, preacher, I, I know that we ought to be happy and we pray for our children and our grandchildren to be happy. God's more concerned with our holiness than he is our happiness. He's more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. And he wants us to be a joyful people. Last week we mentioned as we preached on Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 2, 3, 4, 5 there in that chapter 2. We'll get back to that again in a couple of weeks. We mentioned that Acts chapter 16, that the church was founded as the Apostle Paul. Don't you remember Lydia saved at a prayer meeting on a riverbank? And then Paul and Silas preaching in Acts chapter 16, singing hymns at midnight. And the Philippian jailer comes in and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And right there... The beginning of that church that he's writing to about 10 years later now in the book of uh, Philippians, he's writing this letter back to them with the theme of joy. Brent Savinsky sends out to some preachers, I'm on that texting list. Brent is now the staff evangelist at Community Baptist Church in South Bend, Indiana. Bud Stedman was there before, now... Uh, Joe Fant is the pastor there. Brent, is a, he's a friend to preachers. And, of course, grew up in a preacher's home. His daddy, Jerry Savinsky. All of his brothers are in full-time Christian work or in evangelism now. 
And Brent sent out a, a text several months ago to me that he was praying that in the ministry, God would grant us joy. And he defined it. He said, joy is the inward settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of our life for our good and for his glory. That you and I can obey him and trust him no matter what the circumstances and that you and I can experience real joy. That's what Paul is teaching us in the book of Philippians, that we can have real joy. I'd like for us to look, and if you have a Bible, I'd, I'd like for you to mark these verses in your Bible. We're going to take a, a journey through this book from the 30,000-foot range, and we're coming back in a little bit and kind of getting that plane a little closer to, to land, and we're going to see that in the midst of turbulent times, in the midst of uncertainty, whether it's in our individual lives, whether it's in our family, or it's in our church, that God can give us joy, real joy. He says there in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 4, for 12 different times in this book, the word that is translated joy or rejoicing, either in a noun form or verb form, is used. Notice the verse I read earlier, verse 4 of chapter 1. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, he likes to use you all too, making mention with joy. Verse 18. Verse 18, he says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do Rejoice, there's the word. Rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Verse 25. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Joy of faith. Chapter 2 and verse 2. We preached on this last week. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, and being of one accord and of one mind. Verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy, he said, I joy and rejoice with you all. Verse 18. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So it's mutual. I'm rejoicing, enjoying, and you are too. Then verse 28. He says, I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, ye may, and here's the word, rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Next verse. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. So the idea of receiving him and rejoicing and with gladness, all carrying this same idea. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, therefore, my brethren, Dearly beloved, and long for, you're my joy and crown. 
So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And then chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. And verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherewith ye also are careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So young men, if you're studying for the ministry and you're looking at a text or looking at a book, you underline when words are the same, joy and rejoice. And you look at that 12 different times in these four chapters and find that's the theme that he is emphasizing that you and I can have the inward strong conviction that God is sovereignly controlling the events of our life for our good. And for his glory. And we can have not happiness. But inward joy. Spiritual joy. In the midst of the circumstances of our life. He says I thank my God. Notice verse 3 of chapter 1. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He was very thankful that. For the people that he got to serve with. You look around today. These fellow laborers. He used that phrase sometimes. Yoke fellow. Or fellow laborers in the gospel. You look around and see the fellow laborers. That you get to serve with here in this place. And thank God for them. Thank God for them. We'll talk about that at the end of the message. He's writing Paul and Timothy, Timotheus, he calls them servants, the word doulos, bond slaves of Jesus Christ. They were not their own. They belonged to someone else, as we do. They served someone else, as we do. They were bond slaves of Jesus Christ. He writes to all the saints, to all the Christians in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. And then he addresses two different offices, which are the only two offices in a local church. Bishops, which is the word, uh, three different words used in the New Testament for pastor. Pastor, bishop, or elder. He's addressing the pastor and the deacons, the word means to serve or servants. He says, grace be unto you. And by the way, that's the only way you and I are going to have joy is by God's grace. God giving us something we don't deserve and God doing something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. He's going to be the one by his grace that gives us this joy. He was in prison. Paul was in prison over three years. As I said, Philippi, a very poor uh, city, persecuted place. Two ladies in the church we find from chapter 4 and verse 2 that Paul addresses. I don't know what they were fighting over, but a feud between Eudes and Syntyche. And he's asking them in this book, he's telling them, you can have joy in the midst of trouble. You can have joy in the midst of trial. In this church at Crossroads, 
I, I love the verse, Esther 4.14. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I believe that you are placed here to see how you're going to react to what's going on in this fellowship, this assembly. And the joy you exhibit in the midst of difficult times will be a testimony not only to the other people in this church, but to other people around here as well. God wants us to have joy. He says, in everything, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. You and I can experience the joy and the joy of the Lord, for that is indeed our strength, as Nehemiah tells us. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. In verse 4, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. That's exactly what God is looking for for you and me in our lives as we experience turbulent waters, turbulent flights, as we talked about earlier in the day. So I look at this book, read it several times this week, this sad, fallen world. We're living in a day of much depression, suicides on the increase. People are dissatisfied. People are grumpy. People are on edge probably as much as I've experienced in 72 years of my life. And people have said that there is as much depression today as during World War II in our nation. This is a time when we need to be able, not something we muster up. I'm not talking about a fake smile every morning. I'm talking about something that God does on the inside where God gives us joy in him. Joy in him in the midst of trials and disappointments and despair. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is what's on the inside no matter what the circumstances are. You and I can experience that, that joy. Matter of fact, it's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. It's one of those pieces, love and joy. God can give us that in our lives by the Spirit of God working. He's already given it to us, and now he wants it to be evidenced on the outside by the indwelling Spirit. You and I today can be thankful for what God has given us. I'm very thankful for the servants of Christ that I get a chance to be with and minister with. I have whatever called you call semi-retirement. Preachers never retire. Um, I, um, I heard Brother Roloff say that. I went to Brother Roloff's funeral back in November of 1982. He died in a plane crash. Uh, most of you young men would have loved it. 
There were five preachers, 3,600 people met in an air hangar in Corpus Christi, Texas. And uh, man, I tell you, I was having the time of my life as a young preacher going to Brother Roloff's funeral. But he talked about, we don't ever retire, we just refire. And I've refired uh, again, and uh, whatever that semi-retirement, had opportunity to pastor four churches, uh, eight years in Houston, Texas, uh, 11 years in Sherraw, South Carolina, and I see Larry Harris is here today, had opportunity to meet him in his pajamas uh, the first time I met him. I was a newcomer to the town of Sherraw, and anyway, through all of that, we had opportunity in meeting for discipleship. He became a deacon in our church later, and, and the rest is history. Glad to have Lana here visiting with her kids from Texas as well and got to see her. So I was their pastor a long, long time ago and built relationships that are still lasting, thank the Lord. Then I went to Irmo, Columbia, South Carolina for 10 years. My wife died there. I moved to Rock Hill, met Linda a year later. Uh, last Thursday was our 10th wedding anniversary. We went, uh, after we got married, we went to Whiteville, North Carolina, uh, going toward Wilmington on 74, and uh, pastored Victory Baptist Church there for nine and a half years. And at 72 years of age, I, whatever semi-retire means, to move back closer to family, we had 10 preachers came and spent the day with us that day on my last Sunday. Uh, Dr. Bruce McAllister and Dale and Denise Cunningham from Johnson City, Tennessee, and Dave Bradshaw, who I had was my youth pastor. Several of those guys that uh, had been friends of mine, Mike Yarborough and Carl Wood, and I don't there was 10 different preachers that we had there. We had the best of times. And I look back at that evening when I went to bed that night and I said, you know, I'm so thankful for the co-laborers that I have had opportunity to minister with in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here we find exactly what Paul said to these believers at the first part of chapter 1, first part of chapter 1 in Philippians. Look at that with me, if you will, those first eight verses. Philippians chapter 1, he is thanking the Lord for those co-laborers in the gospel with him. I've, I've served with some wonderful folks. I've had some wonderful deacons uh, that I've had in the churches that I've pastored. I have some tremendous Christian friends of mine. That, as I said, some of those I'm thankful go on and on and on even today. But as we look at this first chapter, he he says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Do you pray often for the people sitting around you in this church? You say, preacher, they seem like everything's all right with them. They don't really need prayer. You don't know them that well then. We're all standing in the need of prayer today. There's things going on in every one of our lives today that need prayer. I'm standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Making request with joy. 
making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The opportunities to be able to minister for the gospel with people, there's nothing like it. I left uh, engineering field in 1978. I studied civil engineering, and um, I graduated in, from Clemson in 1973 in civil engineering, and I went to work down in Orangeburg, South Carolina, down below Columbia. We were building I-95. I know for you young people, you thought that I-95 always existed. There was a time when we didn't have I-95. We were building a, a section, 10-mile section of I-95 from Santee, South Carolina, to I-26. And I worked on that project as a construction engineer for a couple of years, then became a maintenance engineer in a little town called St. Matthews. For three years, I had 22 miles of I-26 down below Columbia that was in my maintenance area there. And I, tremendous benefits... I mean, uh, health insurance, I think we paid a dollar or two a month back then for health insurance. My wife was a public school teacher, and uh, she, uh, so that's why it was so cheap for us to have health insurance. But I tell people that when God called me to preach, the benefits of the gospel ministry are out of this world. privilege of ministering the gospel with so many people through the years. Your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Then he says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. What God starts, he always finishes. And he began a work in us the day we trusted Christ as Savior. He began a sanctifying work in us, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And what he started, he says he's going to finish. Being confident this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it on the day of Jesus Christ. Did you know that 13 years ago, Crossroads Baptist Church started as a, as a church 13 years ago? And what God started, Jesus, the head of the church, what he started, he's planning on completing. He's been working and he's still working. He didn't quit working a couple of weeks ago on the pastor's last Sunday. He's still working. He's still working to bring people to Christ. He's still working to bring people to a closer walk with Jesus Christ. He's still working to bring closer people working and serving the Lord together for the furtherance of the gospel. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And we can trust him, thanking him for that. Notice in verse chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God doing a work, and we can thank him for that. I left Houston, Texas in 1990 to move to Sherraw, South Carolina. I said goodbye to some wonderful people. First church I'd ever resigned from. And as I look back, I realized that 
God is still doing a work in the lives of people in Houston, Texas. I, I left Sheraw, South Carolina, and uh, moved to Irmo after ten, 11 years of ministry. I left some wonderful folks. I preached back there the other day, the first Sunday in July. That was 33 years ago from my very first Sunday there. And I saw people who were still going on for Christ. People who had come to Christ as their Savior during those 11 years that we were there. And God who began the good work is still doing a good work. And I said goodbye to folks in Irmo, South Carolina. A lot of those folks are now members of Grace Baptist Church in West Columbia now, but we get to fellowship with some of those folks. Went to weddings recently. Sometimes I do funerals. It, and I look back on all that and I said, God is still doing a work. What he started, he said he's going to finish. And then over in Whitehall, North Carolina, Victory Baptist Church. I cried my way right out of there. When I left Sheraw, South Carolina, Dave Barba was with us. We had dedicated a new Sunday school building that day. And I told Dave Barba, I said, Dave, now you don't have to stay for the afternoon service. I said, all I'm going to do, I'm going to preach for a little while. And then basically I'm just going to say goodbye to these people that I've loved and been with for these 11 years. He said, Brother Claudia and I would not miss it for the world. I want to watch you slobber all over yourself as you say goodbye. And I didn't disappoint him. I didn't. I didn't. Your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it in the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Even as is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. And as much as both in my bonds, in prison, in defense, and confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace. You've been with me. They sent gifts to him in prison, all of that. They've been right there with him, even though uh, he was in prison in Rome. For God is my record. He's the witness. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of the compassion of Jesus Christ. He was thanking God for his ministry partners and that what God had started in them, he was going to complete. They could experience joy in the midst of their circumstances even as he could in prison in Rome. He was thanking the Lord, these fellow ministry partners, he was thanking the Lord for their faithfulness. He was thanking the Lord for their love. He was thanking the Lord for their endurance, that the fact that they were still going on and persevering for Jesus Christ in the midst of troubling times. They were doing it with joy. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. When I look at that verse 3, I thank my God. Don't you love that phrase, my God? A personal God. 
one that he walked with and talked with. Several years ago, I was in a Christian training program at Georgia Tech. We were uh, with a campus ministry. We had rented the ATO house at Georgia Tech just to use it for uh, summer training for uh, campus ministry. This is 1971. It was during that time that somebody at Emory University in Atlanta had come out with a slogan, God is dead. And so he had these bumper stickers on the back of cars that said God is dead. And I worked in Alpharetta outside of Atlanta. We lived in downtown Atlanta, and we rode the MARTA buses up, and I worked as a brick mason's helper and uh, just as hard a job manually laboring as I'd ever been. I decided then I wanted to be a civil engineer. And uh, so I, I, uh, I saw a bumper sticker in that summer that said, my God is not dead. I talked to him this morning. He's my God. Some of you young preachers, I don't know if you've heard S.M. Lockridge preach that message on my king. He's my God. A personal God. Matter of fact, he says over in Philippians chapter 4, just a couple of pages over, he says in verse 19, a verse some of you have memorized, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You and I are convinced, or should be, that we'll never have true joy in the midst of turbulent times unless we get it from my God. God is the one that gives us joy. And a relationship with him, as that relationship is growing, the more that we're growing in our relationship with him, the more we can experience that joy in the midst of trouble. Some people have prayed for me Pastor, I hope you experience some more hard times. And I say thank you, you know. Why? Because hard times drive us to dependency upon God. Hard times drives us to prayer. Hard times develops in us a closer walk with my God. Therefore, we can experience the joy, all of us. Our lives, we face troubles, the loss of loved ones, pain, suffering, family difficulties. There's not a preacher that I know that doesn't have family problems to pray about. Some may not share it, but they've got it. We've got it. We've got 21 grandkids. Some of them are walking closer to Christ than others are. Some need to be saved. In the midst of failures, in the midst of rejections, in the midst of sorrows, God can give us joy. He can give us joy. And he was thanking the Lord for those fellow laborers that labored with him in the gospel. And the ones that were working, even using them to help conform him to the image of Christ. I'm looking forward to looking in a few months back at Crossroads Baptist Church and being able to see what God is going to do in and through you. 
I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the testimony that you folks will have in this community of the joy that you're experiencing in the midst of a difficult time. Some of you know a verse of scripture that one of the, I had a 60 verse memory packet that we learned in the first year or so of my salvation and I quote the verses over and over again. John 16 verse 24 tells us herein or hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. I'm praying for you. Would you pray for me? That in the midst of the difficulties, the turbulent flight, the rest of the way through, I want to finish well for Christ. But I can tell you, there's going to be turbulent in this flight that we might have joy. This kind of joy that only Christ can give. That your joy may be full. And he thanked God for the work that God had started that he was going to finish and for the fellow laborers that labored with him in the gospel just like you have here at Crossroads. Let's bow for prayer. Before we pray, who would say preacher? I need to experience joy myself in the midst of a turbulent time in my family or my life or job situation without calling your name. But preacher, in a general way, would you remember me in the closing prayer? If you're like that, would you raise your hand up, put it right back down? Yes, several hands. Preacher, pray for me. I need joy in the midst of troubling times in my own life. I've got my hand up because I need it as well. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you may be here today and you say, Preacher, I don't know for sure I'm saved. 52 years ago at 20 years of age in a dorm room at Clemson, I didn't know I was saved either. And a young man from Augusta, Georgia said, Gary, if you died today, where would you go? I hung my head. I said, I don't know. I'm not sure. You may be here today and you're not certain about your own salvation. Why not get it settled today? Today, we'd be glad to meet with you after the service and take you to a place of privacy, some of our deacons as well here, and show you from the Bible how you could be saved and know it. You could repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who's the giver of joy. And you could know a personal relationship and then you'd be able to say, my God, my Savior, personal relationship with him. You could know that today. Father, today you can see in our midst, Lord, you know hearts. You know my heart. Lord, I'm in need of, of joy today. I want to experience this kind of joy that Paul talks about in the book of Philippians. God, I pray that you'd help us in the midst of difficulties. That, Lord, we would 
find it only in my God who gives us joy. That we would realize that he's in charge. He's working all of our circumstances out for our good and for his glory. That, Lord, you'd help us to be obedient to your word. That the word of God today, by the spirit of God, our teacher, would make us more like the son of God, who is the one that brings us true joy. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.